Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. Well, it wouldn't be a, an official Orange and Black Insider episode if we weren't a handful of minutes late. Uh, that's just usually how we roll for the live show as we get scheduled. But that's not even the main point of the evening. The main point of the evening is that the Bengals have won their third straight against the Kansas City Chiefs. It doesn't matter where the game is played. It doesn't matter when the game is played. The cast of characters, it seems that the Bengals are unflappable against this Chiefs team. I'm Anthony Cazenza talking a bit more about this game and this time with the wisdom of John Sheeran, not just me babbling on by myself for a post-game report. John, man, uh, feeling pretty good about this one. This was a, this was a big, big weekend for the Bengals. This is the first four-game winning streak, I believe, in the Zach Taylor era. This is the first time any team has beaten the Chiefs in three consecutive meetings since Patrick Mahomes took over in 2018. This is... Like they're eight and four compared to being, I think, seven and five at this point last season. This is the breaking point, I guess, that you could say the difference between this year and last year. Not that they didn't beat the Chiefs last year, but they've positioned themselves in a much better spot entering the month of December compared to the twenty twenty one season. And man, I we have to, we have to talk about this win because I feel like it's one of the most unique wins I've ever seen from the Bengals in my lifetime. We're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it from a lot of different angles. We're going to talk about some sp- more specifics in terms of performance and whatnot. We already did kind of the team stats and some of the box score stuff, so we won't kind of rehash that unless, of course, John, you'd like to reference something. I'll be happy to pull that stuff back up, but I hadn't really planned to. It was kind of more what we saw, how we felt about it, a little more analysis and opinion as opposed to just kind of stats and whatnot. And of course, getting your take with it, John. I mean, I I think on top of all of that, what was the uh, the, the long, long winning streak by the Chiefs and Mahomes in the months of November and December as well? That streak was broken because the Bengals beat the Chiefs last year, uh, and that was in January, not not December. But I mean, a long streak there. I mean, I think it was in the teens in terms of amount of straight games that they had won to that point. And the Bengals just seem to have their number. I, I just, it's, you know here's here's the interesting thing and i i thought i had said it last night the admirable thing about the chiefs they decided that the last couple of times the Bengals beat them they kind of felt like you know we kind of maybe abandoned the run a little too much when there was maybe more there and this week they are, they stuck to the run a bit more because there were they, i mean the Bengals said you know you can try and beat us this way uh, we're not going to let Mahomes beat us, so we're going to keep a lot of guys back in coverage. And if you want to, you know, we'll empty the box a little bit. If you want to try and take advantage of it, we'll let you have that. 
Chiefs ran for almost 140 yards, um, but it didn't really make a difference because Mahomes wasn't Superman and the Bengals did enough against him and did a lot on offense to pull this one out. So, I mean, kudos to the Chiefs making an adjustment, but it still didn't work. Right, because if your plan against the Chiefs is to drop back eight, go nickel the most of the game, and just allow those rush lanes to open up, if you can do that and hold Mahomes to, what, under 240 passing yards, like 60% completion percentage, you'll take that 10 days out of 10. Like, Jarek McKinnon and Isaiah Pacheco, uh, the former averaged 6.4 yards uh, before contact per attempt, and the latter averaged 4.7 yards before contact per attempt. So it di- there were a, l- a lot of moments in this game where they were chunking off, like, big run after big run after big run, and it was a little bit concerning when you had Josh Tupo in his first game back kind of getting blown off the line, and D.J. Reader wasn't doing that much better credit to the chiefs interior offensive line Cree Humphrey and those boys generating movement with the best of them but yeah that was the best part of the chiefs offense for most of this game and as we saw it's not going to do enough against the defense that makes big plays in big moments and comparing this win Anthony to the previous two like while the game was going on after the Bengals took a 14 to 3 lead then they gave up 14 unanswered everyone was talking about this is the this is the inverse of week 17 it's the inverse of the conference championship game instead of the Bengals coming back after a a hot start for the chiefs it's the chiefs coming back from a hot start from the Bengals, and that and that comeback for the chiefs was allowed by plays that usually happen in losses man like dropping interception to patrick mahomes he's going to make you pay that's what he did after the interception through a touchdown dropping and the easiest touchdown of your career like the guy who never drops anything and then first drop of the year yeah, first drop first. of the year, the easiest touchdown they'll ever have, ever, and he drops it. Not scoring from your own from the three yard line, on because of a great play made by a former Bengal, mind you. Not necessarily uh, of course, a bad play call, of course, of course, but a yeah. phenomenal <laughs> individual effort by right. that defensive lineman. And we can get into more into the play call in a minute. But these moments, these plays against that team, it hap- they happen in losses, right? The Chiefs. I don't care what the win probability metric said by the middle of the third quarter. I think it was like a 60%. I checked it at the time. It should have been 99% because the Chiefs don't blow these games. They've only allowed two fourth quarter comebacks of seven points or more ever since Mahomes took over. Lamar Jackson did it last year. Phillip Rivers did it back in 2018 when Mahomes is still a young player. They don't they don't let you come back. And it was the middle of the third quarter, Anthony, when Burrow ad-libbed, had this improv quarterback keeper when it should have been like a run to P. Ryan, and he ran it for 16 yards. He took on like multiple tacklers. And ever since then, the Bengals just made plays when it counted. Jermaine Pratt had the turnover when everyone knew in the stadium that they needed a turnover. They converted, I think, every single one or all but one third down ever since then at, from the middle of the third quarter on. And pretty much all of them ended at the sticks, too. They were clutch third down conversions after like, clutch third down conversions. Uh, right. Yeah. By, just, by yeah. mere itchings. The margin of yeah, error yeah, was zero yeah. because, it, because it's Mahomes, because it's the Chiefs. It's this unstoppable offense that deserves all the credit coming into this game. But they didn't make the plays when they needed to. The Bengals did. And for that reason, because they were ahead early on and they allowed this comeback, they gave up this cushion that they established and they just made the plays when they needed to make it, when everyone knew that they needed to make it because they did and the Chiefs didn't. I think it's the most impressive win in a long time for the Bengals. I will agree with you and I'm going to take it one step further, John, because you made a very astute observation in terms of this you can't allow those you can't have those easy mistakes right mm-hmm. if you're the Bengals you can't not net points in the red zone you can't have a drop touchdown a walk in easy touchdown you can't have these things happen 
I'm going to say the opposite now is becoming true about these Bengals because if you're the Chiefs and you're in Cincinnati, you are starting to gain control of a game that the Bengals had control of early in this game. You cannot afford a turnover to the Bengals. You cannot afford to miss a long field goal in Cincinnati late in the game in a crucial situation. Those two plays. So when the Bengals, we talk about the Bengals not making a couple of plays and you go, oh man, these are, you got to have a, basically a perfect game against the Chiefs. You need to have these points. You need to score on these plays. It's becoming the same about the Bengals, man. I mean, it's you, it's, you come into Cincinnati and it's like, you can't screw up. You can't have that one turnover. You can't have that one missed field goal. Even if you have Patrick Mahomes as your quarterback, it can't happen because the Bengals, Joe Burrow, that wide receiver group, they will make you pay if you if you if you make an error now. And that is what I think made this entire win, the third straight against the Chiefs, especially exciting for me because you kind of say this this team has to be talked about along with the Chiefs, the Bills. I mean, these powerhouses. This is this is who this team is, and it, and quite honestly, it's it's pretty surprising. To, to have this discussion now and talk about they went into Tennessee and beat up on the Tennessee Titans at their own game. They came back to Cincinnati and back-to-back weeks, hosted the Chiefs, got two wins, beat them at their own game. And we're talking about a team that was 0-2 to start this season that looked like a completely different team altogether. And that's what's surprising to me. And that's what matters, right? It's not about how you start. It's how you finish. And if you're going to be bad at any part of the season – might as well be bad in September, which is the opposite for the Chiefs, right? They are September's greatest team and usually carries over for the remaining 13, 14 weeks in the season because the Chiefs are that good. And you can't make those mistakes against the Chiefs because usually nine times out of ten, Patrick Mahomes is going to have a great game. Well, he can't he can't possibly have a great game against his defense for whatever reason that is going on with his mind. But Luna Rumo didn't exactly do the same things that he did in the championship game. He only dropped back eight a handful of times. I think it, the number was five, but it was the times when the Bengals didn't blitz, not necessarily dropping back eight, but they still generated pressure on Mahomes. Um, according to PFF's charting, there were 12 dropbacks where Mahomes was under pressure. He was three for 10 and was sacked two times, including Joseph Asai on that incredible second career sack of his career. Like the 2021, just a slight tangent real quick, 2021 draft class in this game. Jamar Chase, first game back, shows absolutely no rust, has 97 yards and seven receptions. Chris Evans has two snaps and catches a touchdown that, the go-ahead touchdown joseph aside is on the field for 12 snaps and like only a handful of pass rushing snaps and has the biggest sack of the year so far so 21 total snaps out of like him uh evans and trent irwin and they all make great plays but mahomes not being able to make mahomes magic on those 12 dropbacks his average time to throw is 3.88 uh, seconds and usually that's time spent running around in the pocket finding travis kelsey or marquez valdez scanning down the field making some magic happen but this time Again, only three completions, barely any positive plays made out of those, is taking away that aspect of his game, not necessarily confusing him with coverages, but containing him in the pocket for 99% of the time and actually finishing on, on two of those. That is how you avoid this comeback from becoming a win. And like you said, because this is now like the Bengals have entered this upper echelon of playing margin free air football, because the team just embodies, I think, the robotic calmness almost serial killer cold-blooded nature of the quarterback like this was the most Tom Brady-esque game I think of Joe Burrow's career and I'm not just saying that because one of the passes reminded me exactly of Brady 
but every pass was exactly where it needed to be. There wasn't necessarily any crazy splash plays, but he got pretty much everyone involved in this game. The first drive had featured, I think, four different receivers on those five completions, and it was there, there were checkdowns, sure, but there were design checkdowns. There were checkdowns with space in front of him designed for maximum yards of catch. It wasn't just you know failing to read what was downfield. It was knowing how to hit your progressions, the timing of every play, go to the open receiver in the flat or whatever. And it was throws over the middle. There were dimes down the sidelines. There were there were two incredible throws that didn't even count to Jamar Chase and D. Higgins. He could have easily had three touchdowns in this game or three more touchdowns in this game or whatever. It was a masterful, masterful game from their quarterback in Joe Burrow. And I feel like the entire team, once they see him, he's on when they really counts, the whole team kind of just falls in his lead. The tight window throws were unbelievable in this game. And I think that's what you're referencing with some of the Brady like throws. The tight window throws were unbelievable, especially across the middle. That last one to T Higgins, where was the margin of error there? I mean, there were that coverage was right there. And the fact that he placed it right there and the fact that Higgins, Mr. Contested catch master came down with that, just an incredible play. I, I mean, it's pretty insane to me, like how little the ball actually physically hit the ground. Uh, when when Joe Burrow threw through passes because one incompletion is you ma- Ryan Clark today on uh, on Get Up on ESPN two labeled it the best incompletion I've ever seen that one where he comes up you know Chase had it with the one hand that ball never hit the ground uh, the one that hit the ground shouldn't have hit the ground uh, with Tyler Boyd and he only missed I think six passes on the entire day uh, so he was he was unbelievable I want to go back real quick to the Osai play though because and if you're ready for some real hard hitting analysis here. This game told me a lot in that what really is getting to Mahomes about this, about this, I guess, rivalry, quote unquote, simply put, the Bengals don't let him do what he wants to do. And exactly. that play right there with Joseph Osai and how not not necessarily they didn't limped off the field Mahomes did after that. And and hopefully he's OK. I, I think he I think he's OK. But you saw him slam the helmet down after that play, especially after the missed field goal and whatnot. That was the play. And if you watched, I, I remember seeing the, the end zone angle from the opposite, for watching Osai come up from behind on him. There was a guy crossing. I didn't see exactly who it was. There was a guy crossing, starting to just come open as he broke away from Osai and started to step up into the pocket that I have little doubt if Osai didn't trip him, that was going to be, there was a high probability that was going to be a completion for a big play right there. And so it's that extra effort. It's those that extra just thorn in his side that the Bengals defense provides him. They just don't let him do what he wants to do. And that was a play that really embodied it because that's exact. That was Mahomes, right? You over pursue him. He steps up into the pocket and either does some stuff with his legs, meaning run himself or dances around, does a, a nimble Ben Roethlisberger type of move to, to play backyard football, throw it down the field. And it's a big gain. And that that play right there, I think, was going to be one where <laughs> it was going to be a big gain if Osai didn't recover, use that athleticism to recover from a, a bad container, a bad angle, and, and over pursuit of him, and just kind of clipped his ankle there and got him. And then obviously we know what happens there, the bad field goal. So again, hard hitting analysis here, but the Bengals defense essentially that play embodied the fact that they just don't let Patrick Mahomes do what he wants to do and what he usually does. And the Chiefs have been so successful this year creating new series on first and second down. Like they've really not I want to say rarely, but they've had so much success on early downs that they haven't had to rely 
on third downs and all. And when they get to third down, they're usually pretty good. But in this game, the Bengals forced a lot of third downs and they made the Chiefs earn it. And I think the Chiefs still ended up being over 50% on third down conversions, but that's where they did most of their damage. I think that's where I think most of their big plays down the field happened with, with Valda Scanding. He had at least two catches of 30 yards or more. And that play was on third downs, third and short at like the 33, 32 yard line. And like you said, 99% of the time, Mahomes makes that play because the Bengals, unfortunately for Osai, he went against the script of what you're supposed to do against Mahomes, right? He broke contain. He allowed Mahomes to step up in the pocket. And like you said, there was a split second where he was about to start his release, to start his throwing motion, but it's Osai, right? It's the whole thing that makes him special is his effort, is his ability to not give up on plays. And that extra ounce of athleticism from Texas, it allowed him to make that play. And that's where the frustration happened, right? It wasn't just Mahomes was hurt and they ended up kicking a field goal when they probably shouldn't have. It was Mahomes knew he had that play to potentially get, change the game for good, and he couldn't make it. The one time he couldn't make it, and it was just team. It was just another one of these plays where it's like, if the if these if every one of these plays isn't made, the Chiefs end up winning this game. And the fact that they ended up answering the bell every single freaking time in all three phases, yep. it was phenomenal. Yep. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I guess you could say, you know, I have a couple of unlikely heroes, I guess. I, Osai is kind of one. I don't want to call I, – I don't like unlikely heroes, just kind of guys where you go, hey, th- this guy made some plays this week that you don't normally hear his name. And Osai was one of them with one of the biggest plays of the entire game and just a hustle play, really. You know, a bat, a good get-off, a bad container or over-pursuit there in terms of what he was – his probably what his responsibility was as an edge defender in that regard – and then, you know, just a great recovery and using the athleticism there. So he's one. And John, you know, I think I, I, as I watched the game late last night again, I saw a couple nice things out of Mitchell Wilcox. Uh, and so, I, I, you know, not so much as a big receiving weapon or whatever. He had a catch early. Um, I saw him kind of do some different things in a, from a blocking standpoint. I don't know. It sounds like, and we'll, we'll get to some of these headlines later, but I don't know that the Bengals will have Hayden Hurst this week and who knows how long this calf injury of his is going to last, but um, you know, and I, I don't know that Wilcox will be a week to week, huge contributor in the passing game, but I did like some of the things that I saw in terms of him being able to contribute. And I like that the Bengals have pivoted or were able to pivot rather from Hurst getting injured, having to use Wilcox and doing some different things and still being very effective on offense. So those are a couple of guys I kind of said, hey, these are some like unlikely guys stepping up a little bit. I don't know if you had thoughts. We just talked a lot about Osai. I don't know if you had thoughts, thoughts about Wilcox or some other guys that you kind of felt like, hey, this guy kind of stepped up this week. That was a little unusual. Yeah, Wilcox had a reception in for Hurst, but he did most of his damage blocking. That's usually what he normally does as typically mm-hmm. the second tight end, and now he's the starter. And the Bengals had equal amounts of success running the ball as the Chiefs did, and a lot of that was Wilcox. I think he had a 65.7 run block grade in this in this game. For me, like the fact that the Bengals only had Trey Flowers out there for six snaps is very surprising, I guess. And I guess it's not too surprising considering – Earlier in the season against the Ravens, uh, I think Flowers only played a handful of snaps against Mark Andrews when that was expected to be another matchup. Andrews ended up having a really good day against the Bengals that day, so you figured, okay, maybe Flowers is more involved in the game plan. He had success against Travis Kelsey last year. He's on the field for six snaps, and it ended up being Jermaine Pratt in coverage a lot of times on Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey had two receptions for 32 yards against Jermaine Pratt, which is expected. Jermaine Pratt's not going to be able to cover Travis Kelsey. Sometimes he's got to take those L's. Despite the fact that they shut out Kelsey for the first half, Kelsey eventually is going to get his. But if you're going to allow big plays to Travis Kelsey, finish them. 
And that's exactly what he did when every, again, everybody knew that when you're only up by four or when you're down by four to Pat Mahomes in the fourth quarter, it's hard to make him punt. You have to make him turn the ball over. You have to make them make a mistake. And of course, the guy who forces the biggest turnover in Bengals history 11 months ago yeah, comes yeah. up with another turnover and, and pops the ball out of Kelsey's hand, or out of his hands. And it was also funny just at the end of the game. I think they panned to Kelsey like at least three times, and his face oh, he was changed. Just, oh, oh, just little little puppy dog eyes, which saddens just, me because I love Kelsey as a UC fan. But right, yeah, he was he was he was shook from he that. He was play. gutted. Sh- he was gutted. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? <laughs> that was. You know, I, I watched that play. I mean, he just had to dig at it and dig at it. And it was like on the third or fourth attempt that he was digging at it that he finally was able to kind of pry it loose. And I, the thing that I also felt bad about with, with Kelsey uh, was, dude, he was doing a big high-effort hustle play himself, carrying yeah. guys down the field. And he was he actually wasn't being careless with the football. He, I mean, he like I said, it took three or four like big prize from Pratt to get that thing out of there and it he finally got it out of there and barely did because he was almost on the ground when he did but it looked pretty legit in terms of the call there so yeah uh, I guess a little bit of an unlikely uh, hero I guess from the from the sense of a major play Pratt kind of has some sound plays and some solid plays throughout the year and has grown quite a bit as a pro but yeah the, the big play from him that's that's definitely one well let's before we kind of get into a couple of other things john just your assessment i guess we talked a little bit of the defensive line meaning osai and tupo coming back and whatnot i don't know your thoughts on on just overall your you know you do the weekly lineman on cincy jungle and whatnot so your thoughts on the defensive line play and the offensive line um you know the Bengals ran for what was it 150 yards p ryan now a FedEx ground player of the week nominee. And, um, you know, they burrow sacked. I think it was just once, right. I mean, he scrambled out of a lot of other precarious situations, but I guess not a lot, but some other precarious situations. So, I mean, I guess your assessment as you prepare that weekly lineman feature for Cincy jungle, your assessment on what you saw from the trenches. Yeah. I think the chiefs, we definitely didn't give them enough credit entering this game regarding their rushing offense like McKinnon and Pacheco, great athletes. And when you have so much space to utilize that athleticism, it's going to end up being a good day. But again, that's just what the Bengals decided to do, right? They decided to have a light box just to prevent any big plays from the Chiefs offense. And for the most part, they prevented that. So they took the good with the bad. The Chiefs ended up having a good day rushing. And I think it is a little bit concerning just how easily, you know, the the front four ended up getting blown off the ball sometimes, particularly with uh tupo and reader so that's something to watch entry next week against a team that also likes to run the ball but i mean samaj piran man like he's not even an unsung hero at this point this is just who he is and we're going to talk about him in a little bit but the offensive line again a lot of different concepts running the ball gap zone counter pulling guys just anything that ends up working and right now pretty much everything's working for the Bengals offensive line they're very much in sync with one another and there's not really a lot of concepts that they can't really execute we've seen over the past couple weeks a gradual increase of zone blocking being reintegrated back into the scheme burrows starting to go under center center a little bit more you're starting to see some under center play action and it ended up working against the chiefs so the offense is becoming just way more diverse than it was in the middle of the season definitely more diverse than it was in the beginning of the season they're just figuring out that they can do a little bit of everything and that just puts defenses in a bind yeah, you know, I, I had a conversation with someone yesterday. We were talking about this game as it was kind of occurring. And I said, you know, it, it was actually, and, and he's 
he's I've known him for a long time. He's actually been a little bit of a Bengals critic uh, for a long time. He's not a Bengals fan. Um, he just knows that I watch a lot of it and all that kind of stuff. And I just said, you know, this team just feels like they're pretty good at everything. And he goes, no, he literally is like, no, Anthony, they're like good to really good at everything. Um, and I mean, it's easy to say after a win, like, like this after the chiefs, but uh, you know, I, I, I just kind of was, well, you know, maybe that's, maybe I was, I, maybe I was shortchanging them in my, <laughs> in what I said with that. Uh, but yeah, I mean um, you know, they're they, like you said, and, and their pivot from the early part of the season and how they were able to, uh, able to overcome so many different things, including the chase injury uh you just got to marvel at it and um you know tip tip your cap to them but the Bengals beat the Chiefs 27-24 the third straight time who knows if they'll face each other in the postseason at this point it is looking as of now as we went over this playoff seeding scenarios and whatnot yesterday it looks as if both teams are headed to the postseason as we sit here today Cincinnati having the top wild card seed with the number five spot and the Chiefs falling to the second spot behind the bills with that loss. So um, a lot of shake up there. And then of course, John, as we know, we'll, we'll try and touch on some of this in a little bit here. Um, Ravens kind of struggled through one yesterday as well. And that's uh, being kind about it. So um, we'll get to that in a minute before we get to just a, a couple of other things. This is the orange and black insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza for new here. Happy to have you joining us. We've got a lot of live listeners, which is awesome on a Monday night, uh, getting you set up until uh, shortly before the Monday night football game. And uh, we are on a lot of different platforms. Um, If you like the audio side of things, our shows and a couple of others are on the Cincy Jungle podcast channel through your favorite audio streamer, whether that's iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all the biggies, we're there. You got to subscribe, leave us a rating if you can. That helps us out. And of course, if you like the audio side of things, you got to give a thumbs up on the Cincy Jungle Facebook page. You got to be following a number of Twitter accounts, including Cincy Jungles, the shows at Bengals OBI um, and some others there. So go go do that. And then, of course, uh, beneath John there at the, S- the SB Nation Cincy Jungle logo, there is our show logo down there. You got to click that. Click subscribe and then click the bell to be notified when new content is available and when we go live. We try and do a lot of different stuff throughout the week. Uh, Most of the days of the week, we've got some content for you. And almost every single day of the week between us and the other shows on the network, we've got stuff covered for you in terms of Bengals coverage. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We're going to talk a little Samaj P. Ryan, a little quarterbacks on this one. If we've got some time, we'll do that and then kind of whiz through some AFC North, a little bit NFL headlines to wrap things up as well. But we, I, I don't know. I, I don't even know if this is really a state your case, but I kind of want to just, uh, I don't know. I, I just want to play the graphic. John, a lot of people are talking about, and this is one, of course, and rightfully so, based on what we've seen, the 
last couple of weeks. Um, there is a lot of talk of Samaji P. Ryan versus um, Joe Mixon and all of that. We actually had, I got to go find it up here in the live chats. We've had a lot of, a lot of comments and thank you for those. Here he is from Mr. Generosity, also known as Mr. Whisper talking about, um, you know, we're a more consistent offense with P Ryan in the game. We never have to worry about his protection or how hard he runs. So gave it some more thought and looked at, as I said, watched the game over again. And I've got a couple clips I'm going to share here, but this is kind of my take with the P Ryan Mixon thing. I do think once Joe Mixon, and we've got a little article on this that we'll share with you as well. I do think once Joe Mixon does come back, uh, he's still going to get, you know, a, a high volume of touches and carries. There's no doubt about it. And I'll, I'll kind of differentiate what I mean by this. Um, here's one that we put up. Uh, I think maybe I just put it out on uh, a couple of different elements here, but here's Samaj P. Ryan. And this is, by the way, ju- both of these clips are going to star Justin Reed, which uh rough game Who? for him. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Jason Reed, I guess. Uh Here's so if you check this out here, okay, one and then still slips out of that one, gets another extra half yard at the end there. And here, I mean, just we're bearing uh, the lead here. He dribbled him, just boom, just dribbles him. Okay, so there's that one. Okay, and you can see what happened. He broke a tackle or two to get uh eight or nine yards on that play. And then when you go to this one, this is uh one from our uh, show's Twitter account. This is a different one. This is on a pass play. And you can kind of see here, we'll play this uh, right here. So if you can kind of see what's happening here, here comes the snap, pointing out the protection and whatnot. So Joe, and this great play by Joe, by the way, just kind of flicking it out there. And again, can't hard to bring down, right? So the, here's, here's the, the difference. And I think the big criticism and has been the big criticism of Joe Mixon even though he's been great in the locker room, uber productive, one of the best running backs, statistically speaking, that the Bengals have ever had, um, coming off an excellent season last year. The problem that I think a lot of people see in Joe Mixon, obviously not as good of a pass protector as Samaj P. Ryan. There are some elements in this game as well that kind of showed that off. But the other thing is a lack of breaking that first contact, piece, a part of contact, um, breaking that first tackler, making that first tackler miss, that sort of thing. Now, P. Ryan excels at that. But what you're going to get is you're going to get the three-yard gains, the six-yard gains, the nine-yard gains. I think his long run of the day was 10 yards. Um, you're going to get, the, you know, kind of the slow and steady, if you're going to do the, the tortoise in the hare type of uh, metaphor, I guess, if you will, you're going to get the slow and steady, a little bit more consistency in terms of positive yardage. And you're going to, as you saw in those clips, you're going to see a guy that more often than not gets out of that first piece of contact. And so what that does is that extends drives that that's what I think is appealing right now when you've seen P Ryan be featured as a, as opposed to Mixon. Now Mixon, on the other hand, when he hits the open field, when he does get passed on the rare occasion on the more rarer occasion, I guess the first contact or the blocks are set up nicely for him, his explosiveness, he's the more big play guy. And so that is where the, the coaches, as Mixon comes back into the into the lineup here, they're going to have to find this yin and yang type of situation and and find situations that make both backs be successful. I don't really 
have a doubt based on what I've seen the past couple of weeks that P Ryan, I don't think he's going to discontinue being who he is in terms of just kind of gutting out those positive yardage, getting out of that first tackle, making a two yard carry, a six yard carry, that sort of thing. Um, I still think Mixon is explosive. He can be explosive in the screen game. He can be explosive in the open field. And once he gets that head of steam in the open field, he can make a tackler miss. It's more kind of the tacklers towards the line of scrimmage that he has a little more trouble with. Um, but here's the thing, John, and if anybody knows about these two guys, they played with each other at Oklahoma, and that this is that's how they were used. P. Ryan was the guy that was the drive sustainer, the slow and steady. I mean, slow, I don't mean like slow necessarily speed-wise, but just more steady. Get the get the chunk, you know, the the smaller chunk yardage, sustain the drives, and mix it would come in for the big plays when they needed them, whether it was a pass play or a run play. So this is something that the team needs to figure out. But this is the difference right now that I see aside from pass protection. Simply put, P. Ryan's getting out of that first tackle, making guys miss, be it using his legs, using a stiff arm, that sort of thing. And Mixon's having a little bit more trouble with that, though more explosive in the open field. I think what benefits Mixon in this case is the fact that the Bengals are objectively so much better uh, with run blocking just in general ever since, not even before he got uh, concussed. Like They were just on that path of being just a better unit, uh, creating more space behind the line. I think the, the thing we always heard with Mixon, though, and I've always kind of rejected this, is the fact that he needs 15, 10 carries to get going. Like That's not necessarily a good thing if that's what your running back needs because like we've seen with P Ryan ever since he's gotten to Cincinnati, the first carry he's about, he wants to smoke and he's the same dude on the first carry as he is with the 25th carry. And that was the case with the Kansas city chiefs. Right? So if that's the biggest difference between P Ryan and Mixon, then I do think it still supports the fact that you can rotate in these guys throughout the game. You don't have to worry about necessarily the flow impacting it because if you put Mixon in those opportune situations to utilize his athleticism, utilize the, the positive qualities that he has over Samaji Piran, you can still have a f- very much functioning running game. I do think it's interesting, Anthony, ever since week five, which is when they played the Ravens, wasn't the greatest day for the offense, but you start to see the evolution of the run game. They were going towards more gap style run plays. That was when they first RPO started stuff, making yeah. that real shift, right? Ever since yeah. then. So this has been, uh, I think, eight games for Samaji Piran, six games for Jim Mixon. Piran has averaged 3.06 yards after contact per attempt. Joe Mixon's averaged 2.99. So it's basically been the same in terms of brushing off first contact. I think P. Ryan's been the more consistent because the majority of that production probably came from week nine against the Panthers when when you're talking about Mixon. But again, (laughs) the last time we saw Mixon, he looked like a completely different back. And that wasn't just with specific schemes. That wasn't when he needed, you know, again, to get going early on. Like he came out of the gate really strong in that game. And I think we have to assume that's the Joe Mixon that we're going to get after he come after he comes back from the concussion protocol. So both of these running backs are running the ball at a really high level and they're being benefit. They're beneficiaries of really good run blocking or maybe not even really good run blocking better than they've been accustomed to ever since they joined the Bengals at their respective times. And they're making the most of that. And I think at this point you have to treat them almost like equals and I don't know if that's going to reflect how many snaps they play. I do think that Mixon will end up out-snapping Pirine when both are healthy, but I think there is definite comfortability that both these guys can do similar things, and no matter who's on the field, you can have that confidence. I understand there's 
earned recency bias when it comes to P. Ryan. Like he's out there and the offense doesn't miss a beat, nor should it because he, at the end of the day, he's a running back. But I think the progress that Mixon was making behind this offensive line still matters. And I think P. Ryan was definitely holding down the fort as well as he could. Yeah. And I think, you know, if anything, P. Ryan has, uh, you know, earned himself at least a few more touches when Mixon comes back. But it's a good problem to have. Good problem to have two productive backs that'll, that'll you know, help you out. I, I just want to transition quickly because we've got a little bit more to get to and I uh, want to keep the show time manageable but you know the other thing too that just kind of came up that I wanted to get to was you know going into this game on the Believe Network Pac-Man Jones and Solomon Wilcots who uh, have the Believe in Bengals podcast along with you John and Hoji and Daddy-O on the Believe Network um, they were talking and Pac-Man kind of made an eyebrow raising statement saying that Patrick Mahomes doesn't read defenses that well it's more of a matter of he relies on the athleticism I'm, I'm paraphrasing of course go listen to the episode and you can hear what i don't want to speak for, for pac-man but um you know that was kind of the if you if you listen to the quote john did, did you do you know what I'm i did see it about? yeah okay so i mean that was kind of what he was alluding to right i mean it was just mahomes uh his strength i guess necessarily isn't so much reading defenses it's the fact that he's got the insane arm athleticism that sort of thing and that's what he kind of leans on a little bit more than field recognition whereas when you look at the other quarterback who he went up against this week um, you know, I'm not saying I wholeheartedly agree or disagree with what Pac-Man said there, but when you look at Joe Burrow, there is little doubt in terms of field recognition, defensive recognition, not making the same mistake twice, that sort of thing. And I'll, I'll kind of point out two elements and, and maybe a couple of specific plays. I, I wish I had kind of had one uh, piece of film that I could queue up, but hopefully people can use their mind's eye with it. Number one, uh, for the Mahomes side of things, that play that was almost intercepted by Cam Taylor-Britt, that right there was a bad read of the defense. Um, he he kind of scrambled around, and he thought he could fit it into an area, and all of a sudden there were two or three Bengals defenders there. And actually, Cam Taylor Britton, I believe it was Mike Hilton, kind of bumped into each other to cause the ball to actually not be intercepted. That's how many Bengals defenders were in the area of that play. Now, Burrow, on the other hand, understood you know the tight window throws where that ball needs to be placed. The other thing on the flip side of that, John, there was one completion to Samaje P. Ryan yesterday where Burrow sat and he kind of danced around the pocket, kind of stepped up, stepped up, held the defense, let all the corners and, and some of the players go back with the rest of the wide receivers as those routes developed. And P. Ryan was just sitting there by himself for an easy gain. So he saw, let's let the defense move all the way back with our wide receivers as they go downfield. And I'm just going to just, I mean, he could have just, I mean, through a, a little, like he's playing a game of darts, right? I mean, that's that's how little he, he had to do it. And he recognized the defense to be able to do that. Now, again, I do think Patrick Mahomes is excellent. I think he, I don't think he doesn't know how to read defenses, but I think there is an element or an argument to be made that the high level field awareness IQ of Burrow just outshines a lot of a lot of other quarterbacks in this league, if not all of them, and outshines maybe some of the hyper athleticism of a guy like an Allen or Mahomes, and this game potentially proves that. Yeah, these man, I I hate when uh, not not specifically Pac Man, but I hate when this conversation gets brought up and it's framed this way because unfortunately, when it comes to quarterbacks who don't look like the traditional quarterback, the framing of this is often sometimes rooted in racism um because like you said it's not necessarily reading the defense i think it's more just what your processing is compared to 
relative to what you're capable of. And I think with Mahomes, it's it's not the fact that he can't quote unquote read a defense. Every quarterback in the NFL can read a defense. Correct. He's, he did say that when he first started playing, like he didn't really know what he was doing. I do kind of believe it to an extent, but he's definitely played long enough to understand how to read progressions and how to go through the levels of the field and all that stuff. I think when it comes to Mahomes, and you can group in Josh Allen with this, when you have these generational type arms and the ability to throw off platform and to, the ability to just drop the ball wherever it needs to be, where you're essentially having these 50 yard handoffs, essentially you don't always think about going down to the safe option. And sometimes you just become more, um, you become more willing to just try your look down the field, try windows that a guy like Burrow knows he can't hit. Joe Burrow has an understanding of what his strengths and weaknesses are. And I feel like after the slow start of this season, he really started to hammer that in there. Like if these windows don't exist for me and my caliber of arm to fit into, I need to just take what I can get. And it's not a bad thing. It's not an indictment on his lack of ability. It's him maximizing what he can do. And I feel like with Mahomes, there hasn't really been a full year or really any elongated period of his career where defenses have been able to stop him consistently. So he's never really hit that wall of like, I need to just basically take what the defense gives me. And I can't always rely on my God tier arm talent and everything that goes with that so that that that, that's ultimately the difference between burrow and mahomes and why it gets framed in this oh burrow has this ability to read a defense better than Mahomes. i think burrow understands what he can and can't do and mahomes often leans on just all those other things because 99 percent of the time it works and that's why mahomes is so special that's why he's still the consensus number one quarterback because he can do things that other quarterbacks can't it has nothing to do with him necessarily like quote unquote being able to read a defense yeah I, i i yes the reading defense thing, that's not where I was really in agreement with. I think it was, it's more kind of what you said, wherein it's like, well, I know what my arm is able to do. I, I've put on tape a number of these things, these sidearm throws, these crazy, ridiculous plays that nobody else is making these throws. I mean, the rope that Josh Allen threw on Thanksgiving to end up winning that game, if you remember, that was like 40 yards on a lot, just yeah. a ridic- ridiculous throw, right? But I do think that there is, a, you know, a, a, an argument to be made. We know Joe Burrow has a, a high level of processing things. And we know, like you said, I think he also knows and has an innate ability to know like, hey, this is this is where I trust myself. This is where I trust my throws. That's why he is excellent at those back shoulder throws, because he can trust himself and trust his receivers to know that that play is going to be made almost every single time. And it's very, very difficult for a corner, even with great coverage to be able to defend that so at any rate i just kind of came up with a couple of different um couple of different scenarios and that that talking point of of pac-man stuck in my head a little bit and uh you know again i don't i don't necessarily agree with the sentiment there but i i do see some things where you know i I guess like you said it's more the trust between skill sets that differentiates the, the the situation absolutely like burrow again He's never going to have that caliber of arm, so he can't make some of the throws that Mahomes can make, which is why he doesn't... Whenever he sees one-on-one coverage, like he's going to push the ball down the field. He's not afraid of pushing the ball down the field, but he's not stupid. And I'm not saying Mahomes is stupid. Mahomes just has more ability to make some of those throws that seem impossible, whereas Burrow understands what windows work for him, what windows don't, and the offense is set up to a point where whenever there's an a there's a safe option. There's a safe window to check it down. There's going to be space to be made because defenses are so, you know, 
scared of being beaten over the top. It creates so much yeah. space underneath, and Burrow will always be able to find that check down. That's what made Brady special, right? No one ever gave Brady any crap for being a limited quarterback because he always kept the offense moving because he always knew where the ball yep. needs to go. Yep. Well, let's get to some headlines here and move on, and we'll kind of breeze through these pretty quickly here. But, uh, you know, we'll have – we'll kind of – just talk about some different things um, between the Bengals, the AFC North, and then maybe a couple with the NFL. I don't know if we'll have time for it, but we'll see here. Um, first things first, John, since we're talking about this game, and I believe you were the one who usually writes this up here, the snap counts versus the Chiefs. You see, you see there Mitchell Wilcox. I talked about him being a guy that uh, I saw a couple of nice things with here. Your uh, brief kind of synopsis of this write-up here on Cincy Jungle, I'm going to pin that on the in the live chats as well yeah i was gonna i was gonna save this talking point for this but i ended up bringing it up earlier you had the trio of chris evans trent Irwin, and joseph asai playing a combined i believe it was 21 or 23 snaps in this game and each one made a critical play don't overlook trent Irwin's 12 yard completion on on a first and 20 following a holding that's set up joe burrow's six run where he just kept the ball yeah but chris evans and two offensive snaps I thought I thought Bengals Twitter was going to melt down. Of course, who who else would catch the go ahead touchdown against the Chiefs? But Chris mm-hmm. freaking Evans on a play that I think came almost out of the Chiefs playbook because you just had a slot receiver essentially running wide open over the middle because you had a bunch of different concepts to the right of him take away the zone coverage and Joseph Asai in twelve snaps ends up getting the sack. So that that stood out to me with Mitchell Wilcox and Devin uh, Asiasi. Their their splat splat their snap split differential whatever you want to call it ever since Hayden Hurst was injured uh Mitchell Wilcox played over 50 snaps in the game it's probably going to be the snap rotation when Hurst uh probably doesn't play next week against the Browns we'll have to see if they end up activating their tight end on the practice I believe his last name was like Bowers or something like that but they added him right before the season ended and other than that yeah pretty normal rotation throughout the game aside from Trey Flowers not really seen any time on on defense to defend Travis Kelsey yeah the flower snaps were uh, or lack thereof were a little little surprising there um here is uh, you mentioned it here some injury updates on Hayden Hurst and Joe Mixon of course Joe Mixon now out the last two games you wrote this one up on Cincy Jungle as well uh we talked about P Ryan Mixon etc but um, looks like Mixon can clear the concussion protocol this week. We'll see what happens there. And then, of course, it looks like uh, as of now for the Browns, Hurst will be doubtful. Uh, we'll have that. That might be a week to week thing there. But um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the the latest on those two guys, two important players on the offense. Yeah. So Mixon will end up practicing this week, just like he did last week. So don't be surprised to see him still listen on the injury report, even if even if he. Uh, doesn't clear the concussion protocol. He'll probably be limited Wednesday. We'll see if he does practice full um, on then. There's still two days left to see where that goes. But, yeah, it doesn't sound good if uh, Zach Taylor is virtually declaring Hurst out by calling him doubtful for this week. If you know, this was a day after the injury occurred, I, I remember him calling Josh, uh, Josh Tupa week to week immediately after he uh, yeah. was injured against the Saints. So, yeah, I, I, w- I would imagine that Hurst doesn't play this game. I, I would imagine not. Let's roll on to some sobering news, especially for longtime Bengals fans and fans of your Bearcats, John Sharon. And that is that 
The Bengals are moving on from Kevin Huber. He was on the active roster, even though Drew Chrisman got the punting job. He has been released by the uh, Cincinnati Bengals. Darren Simmons did leave a door open that he could come back on a, in a practice squad type of capacity. But, uh, you know, Kevin Huber released by the team, you know, is kind of on his last leg, pardon the pun, uh, after they re-signed him. This, this, uh, it's a low this, blow. Well, I mean, I, it's at the end of his career, and they knew we knew that the door was going to be closing <laughs> after this year at least. And, um, you know, the Bengals kind of did a couple of one-year – I think last year he was on a one-year contract as well, so they kind of did one-year contract, one-year contract. So they went with it, you know, great guy. He's been a, a great player for the team for a long, long time, unfortunately. You know, I think Father Time just kind of caught up a little bit with Kevin Huber and Drew Christman has been a nice uh, replacement for him. But um, sad to see Kevin Huber go. Yeah, I mean, I literally tip my cap to him, man. 216 games, played Cincinnati kid through and through, was here for the worst of times, was here for the best of times, but we all knew this was coming. Christman only had one more week of elevation eligibility entering the Chiefs game. He's done enough to, to earn this job. And who would have known, man, like, the fact that they kept the two veteran guys and Clark Harris and Kevin Huber to begin the season, but both those guys are not going to be finishing the season with them. And you know what, Emperor Starscream? I reject your idea that he would be a waste of a practice squad spot because you know why? Cal Demise was on the practice squad in week one, and who ended up having to replace Clark Harris in week right, two? Right, but Cal right. Demise, they, right. they've had injuries that you can't <laughs> expect in this team, man. Like 16 yeah. practice squad spots exist for a reason. I would not say you're wasting one on a punter. Who else are you going to have? Yeah. Yeah. I, I touche, touche on that one. Yeah. I, I would not, I would not be so quick to count that out. Well, let's get to a couple of AFC North headlines and then we'll, we'll hop on out of here cause we're getting up against it. But John, uh, the Ravens, as I mentioned earlier in the game, they did not have a great game, barely beat a struggling Broncos team 10 to nine in i believe this one was in baltimore also um just an ugly ugly game and part of the ugliness was with lamar jackson suffering a knee injury he's had i think what a groin injury now a knee injury uh and, and something else bugging him as well so far oddly enough when this injury happened i happened to be watching this game a little bit and when this game happened you know he took a hit uh, on that specific play and I'm like man this guy just uh, he's a warrior. You know, he takes a lot of hits because he runs a lot and he also just kind of moves around in the pocket a lot. So he takes a lot of hits and he just always seems to kind of pop up and, you know, he's not the biggest guy. So you're kind of like, man, what a warrior. And unfortunately this one just kind of got to him a little bit with the, with the knee injury. And so now he is week to week as the Baltimore Ravens are tied record wise with the Cincinnati Bengals. They have the, the benefit of the head-to-head, but this is a big injury for the Baltimore Ravens as they try and continue to hang on to that division lead, quote-unquote. Yeah, we talk about the Bengals having a similar season to last year. The Ravens were 8-4 and four last year at this time, and Lamar Jackson was injured, and he meant the missing most of the rest of the season. It's happening exactly again. Now, we don't know how much time Lamar is going to miss. Typically, week-to-week means at least two games. But this is a knee injury for a guy that uses his knees a little bit differently than most other quarterbacks in the league. So we have no idea the extent or, you know, just how serious it, it ends up being. I know Tyler Huntley came Tyler Huntley came in and did enough against a very good Broncos defense. The fact that they were able to pull that one out based off of how much they were struggling against the defenses that typically locks other offenses down is impressive in its own. But yeah, the Ravens 
barely beat the Panthers. They end up dropping one to the Jags, and they barely beat the Broncos on their home turf. They are consistently playing down to their competition, and this division race is wide open. Yeah, and then uh, let's see here. This is from Baltimore Beatdown. Um, the Ravens made a couple of moves in the wake of this injury to Lamar Jackson, and they signed Deshaun Jackson to the active roster and QB Brent Hundley to the practice squad. So they're kind of getting another another body at the quarterback position to help things out Deshaun Jackson, who's bounced on and off the active roster. He was kind of the guy they wanted to bring in for extra, the extra speed element, a veteran guy. So um, that is, I mean, I don't know if you got, got thoughts on that, particularly the Deshaun Jackson, um, you know, who was, I, I think it was on practice squad after being on the active roster. Correct. Yeah. And he ended up getting a, a long touchdown. He ended up getting behind some cornerbacks. So he's still doing this at what? 37, 38 years. Yeah. It's crazy. Yep. Yep. He's a young pup, young pup. Yeah. Based on, yeah, based, of on my own, based, based on my own age. Yeah, exactly. Uh, let's get to a couple others and then we will bounce on out of here. And then this is just really, I don't, you know, I, I don't want to go into this, into this into great detail, but I do want to give it props. This is from, the behind the steel curtain Steelers SB Nation website. I'm just kind of talking about an, an analysis of the Steelers win there. Pretty ugly one there too, John, against the Falcons. What was it, 19 to 16? I think. Um, here, here we go though. Nine, five and seven are the Steelers. They just kind of keep hanging around. I know they've got quarterback issues. I know that, but they do have a win against the Bengals. Um, they are going into one against the Ravens, I believe, this week, if I'm not mistaken. I think I've got an article on that up as well. But, yeah, they're two-point favorites against the Ravens going into this week because of the injury to Jackson. So, I mean, here they go now, five and seven, and now they're facing the Baltimore Ravens. I mean, I I think they are out, if I'm not mistaken, the Steelers are out of the division contention. I don't know that they're fully eliminated from playoff contention. Um, I'd have to double check that, but here, here they are. I mean, they're just kind of hanging around as they normally do. Yeah. They, they ended up being what the seven seed last year and they <laughs> lost yeah. a pretty ugly game in the playoffs. Oh man. I, I think at the very least they can say that Kenny Pickett is good enough to make it to next year, which I don't think was the case in the middle of the season, but he's rattled off some decent games compared to how he started the season off. And he had another decent one against, well, a Falcons defense that any quarterback can pretty much do well against. So, yeah, they're they're staying afloat, and they're not going to finish at the bottom of the barrel of the NFL, which is what I didn't think was going to happen. So, yeah, they'll probably finish around seven wins, which, honestly, compared to how everything has gone from this year, is about the best they can hope for. Well, transitioning to the Cleveland Browns, and unfortunately, uh, in some respects, it, it – the conversation centers around Deshaun Watson. He made his return, of course, coming back to his old team. Uh, the Texans, the Browns beat the Texans, but pretty ugly game. I think it took two defensive touchdowns by the Browns, if I'm not mistaken. Deshaun Watson did not play all that well, but the Browns still get a two-possession win over the Texans in Houston. Um, and so they're kind of uh, doing the same thing that the Steelers are doing, hanging around a little bit, and now they're trying to see what they can what they do have out of Deshaun Watson and his mega contract that they signed him to. And so that'll be the quarterback this week that the Bengals face. And he is coming off of what a year and a half of not playing football or, or so 
Um, and then coming back here and only playing, you know, one game under his belt after all that time off coming to, to play the Bengals. Yeah, just just to give you guys a tease for Thursday's show, I have no idea how to judge this Browns team right now because Deshaun Watson was downright dreadful against the worst team in the NFL, but we all know the Browns' recent history against the Bengals. This is going to be one of the most interesting Bengals-Browns game in recent memory because 27-14 usually indicates like a decent game, and that game was just every kind of just stupid and ugly, and it was only because the Texans are just terrible. And they're basically tanking, I guess, for Bryce Young at this point. But they scored 27 points off of one of the worst quarterback performances I've ever seen. Yeah, and then here you go. You got the Bengals and the Browns. And, of course, you know, that we're feeling all good about the Bengals here. Um, (laughs) After beating the Chiefs and Titans back-to-back, and here's the one team they can't consistently beat, the Cleveland Browns, even when they are struggling. The Bengals are six-point favorites, I believe, is the opening line right now with the Browns coming to Paycor Stadium. So I don't know how you feel about that line there, John, but uh, that is right now where the line is set. <laughs> um, a lot of points for a team that hasn't beaten them in what, three years. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's all I'll yeah. say about that. Yeah, yeah. And then finally, this is a little bit of Browns slash NFL news, and we'll end here because we are coming up on it, but – uh, and then I think Monday Night Football is also kicking off here. But this is some big news for the Browns, the Panthers, and the rest of the NFL. The Panthers are getting set after trading or, or bringing in Baker Mayfield. They're um, getting rid of Baker Mayfield. Mayfield requested a trade after being benched. Darnold kind of back in the lineup there. Cleveland's going to get a fifth-round pick in 2024 for the uh, the acquisition of Mayfield. And then, of course, um, yeah, so th- th- you can see here that with Mayfield's release, the terms of the trade between Cleveland and Carolina are finally the fifth round pick in 2024. And a lot of people think Baker may be heading to San Francisco after the Jimmy G injury. I mean, I don't know the specifics, the financial details of what the 49ers would have to pay Mayfield if they were to claim him. But I, I mean, I don't think anyone else is going to claim him. I think we always talk about, oh, some other teams should claim uh, th- this person so Team X doesn't get him. Like, does anyone want Baker Mayfield on the roster, period? Like, what, what positive does he bring, even as a backup quarterback at this point? I, I think he'll go unclaimed, and then maybe the 49ers will bring him on on, like, the absolute most minimum of that minimum. Because, yeah. honestly, Brock Purdy wasn't that bad against the Dolphins. The, the Shanahan system typically works for basically anyone, which means it could work for Mayfield, but I don't know if it means they'll have to put a claim run, in for him. Run, run heavy. Right. I mean, uh, they'll run the football. Uh, they've got athletic and versatile wide receivers that may work well for, for Baker, whether we wanted to or not, he'll get a job. He'll get a look. It's just a matter of where and if he'll get a starting job, but he obviously uh, fell out of favor in Carolina requested out of there after the trade. And that is that, well, the Cincinnati Bengals get set to take on the Cleveland Browns. We'll be talking about that on Thursday among other topics. And then Friday, we are currently set to be talking with Mr. Mike Golick, formerly of ESPN and one of the, the big iconic sportscaster voices, I'm going to be talking about the Bengals, the Browns game, the landscape of the NFL, and what he's doing with Gridiron Greats, a charity uh, spearheaded by Coach Mike Ditka, and he's an ambassador for that charity. So looking forward to that. John uh, went a little long here, but uh, got through a lot of good stuff. This was a fun episode, and obviously talking about a Bengals win. Appreciate you, my friend. Uh, any final thoughts before we sign on off out of here i know you've got a big appearance tomorrow on one of our buddy shows uh looks like mr yeah. strawberry ice uh is having you on 
Yeah, I'll be uh, live on there with um, Strawberry Ice. We'll talk some Bengals, I'm sure. But World Cup happened over the weekend. Unfortunately, the Americans dropped one to the Netherlands. But shout out to Jesse Bates for doing his best soccer impersonation and flopping in the end zone to get a timeout there. So we didn't really touch on that, but good on Bates for embracing the world's game. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, it was fun. I had a lot of people talk about you know talking about it and all that kind of stuff. It's kind of cool, and it sounds like the the U.S. had a lot of uh, it was a good stepping stone for them. It seems like as a as a club there. So we'll see what happens in the future. Thank you everybody for tuning in. We got a lot of live viewers. This is awesome. Enjoy Monday Night Football. We'll be back later this week with another live show and other material that we'll be bringing you on the on the channel. And again, on the audio side, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, um, all the major ones, we are there. Subscribe there. And then, of course, you can get our video on our YouTube channel. So hit the subscribe button, our show logo underneath the SB Nation icon. Click that to subscribe and the bell to be notified when we go live, when new content is available, as well as give a thumbs up on Cincy Jungle's Facebook page. And keep it to cincyjungle.com dot com for all your Bengals opinions analysis and podcasts john take care bud we'll talk later this week see you guys Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts.